the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. Uh, I'm here in London this week where the Immediacy Conference is, is talking around the topic of breaking down the silos. The shipping industry is often misrepresented, I feel, as a, as a singular industry. It's a, it's a series of sectors that uh, have a lot to link each other, but we are talking about an industry that operates in a very fragmented way across many different aspects of global trade. And I think what our panelists today are are bringing together through their expertise is the changing tide within shipping in terms of technology, in terms of skill sets, in terms of the demand that is being created, and and how shipping really gets to grip with what I see as an epoch shift in, in so many aspects of what we are doing as an industry. Um, we're joined today by the eminent economist uh, Martin Stopford, President of Clarkson and Research Services, uh, Richard Westgarth, Head of Campaigns for BMT Global, Celia Barrickston, uh, Head of Sustainability and Technology at North Shipping, and Magnus Lander, Commercial Director of Maritime, uh, DMV GL Solutions, uh, and uh, an expert on the Veracity platform. Uh, welcome, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you all come with, uh, you know, a very different set of uh, skills, but we're all talking around this this issue of breaking down the silos. So, um, I want to start with the, the the people at the centre of it, the crew. Uh, I think is probably the common thread amongst many of uh, your, your presentations today. Richard, let's start with you. I mean, in terms of the uh, the nature of what shipping needs from crew, from skill sets uh, in in the shipping industry, just give us a flavour of how you think this is changing. Well, I think. Uh, from our perspective, it's the impact of technology on the crew that is one of the, the big things that we, we are getting more and more concerned about. In this world of increasing digitalization, what we're seeing now is uh, the need for the crew to be far more technology and technically literate than perhaps the traditional uh, seafarer training would have them be. Uh, you know, the, the advent of digital bridges, the use of a whole range of communications technologies, electronic mapping, charting, all of these technologies require a substantial change in the skill set of the seafarers that we, we work with. Mm. Uh, and that, of course, then has that impact as you take, as people leave the sea and, and go into related jobs in, mm. the, in the sort of the, uh, the merchant navy type of ecosystem around trading and things like that. Mm. But they also need to take those skills with them. Mm. Uh, Martin, I, I, I want to bring you in here because you have written extensively around the question of whether the traditional shipping business model is bust and at the heart of that really we're talking about skills we're talking about the ability of uh, shipping to bring together a very traditional business model in a, in a, in a technological and digital era and, and make it work but fundamentally you think there's a bit that's broken here well broken's a probably not quite the right word i um we've had 50 years in the shipping industry where We've been able to coast forward on an existing set of technology and crews and management. This sort of, if you go back to the late 60s, you're building your first BLCCs, uh, big bulkers. There's not a lot of difference uh, between the ships built then and the ships built today. Um, And the challenge for investors has been to raise the money to um, maybe build slightly bigger ships with each generation and to um, uh, really keep costs as low as you possibly can. And suddenly, out of the blue, we've got four very major changes that have appeared on the scene. Um, The first is all of that growth of the big ships 
was built on cheap oil and no concern about emissions. And suddenly, both of those have changed. So the whole economic framework has changed to the extent that for 45 of the 50 years, the uh, uh, ship costs four or five times as much as the fuel. Today, the fuel costs more than the ship. So we've got a complete economic about turn there. Um, secondly, we've got a, a major regional realignment with Asia coming in um, and taking over in a, a big way. And um, the, it, within the North Atlantic and Europe, you've got very mature economies which effectively abandoned their short sea shipping when the big ships came in. And um, now here, for example, on the Brexit thing, we're wishing we had a short sea shipping industry, you know. And so there's a major rethink uh, if we're going to deal with the regional change, but also the business-to-business possibilities which the new technology is bringing in. That's the second thing. Um, the third thing is the complete very rapid speed with which emissions have gone up the agenda in the shipping industry to the extent that I think if you went back just two or three years, most people weren't that bothered about carbon. Suddenly, this is very high on the agenda and the industry is being invited to, um, to, to cut its 2008 emissions target by 50% when, if we carry on with our current trend in growth rate and ship technology, we will actually produce 3 billion tonnes of carbon in 2050. So we will be six times above the IMO target if we carry on as we are. Yeah. And most people are struggling, how do you do that? That's the, that's the next one. And um, so you put all of those together and you have, I, I think, you know, ship owners wondering, how do we invest next? And, of course, all of this does, in the end, come down to people, but not just people on the ship, but people in the ship working along with the people on shore. And just the one final point I'd like to make here is that on the average ship, you've got three senior officers who probably cost over $100,000 a year. If you're running 20 ships, that's 60 senior managers at sea. And you might only have five or six senior managers on land. Mm. Is the company making the best use of those very expensive guys who apparently spend their life doing paperwork in the cabin, right? And that, that really is, is the great challenge that we face at the moment. But at the heart of all of these issues, really, it, it is that ultimate question of efficiency, not just in terms of the operation, but in terms of how technology allows better efficiency, how the people can work together, whether it's onshore or at sea. Martin, you've spoken at length in, in the past about how you know ships uh, could be operated and should be operated much more as a fleet uh, rather than you know an individual business unit. And you know, at the heart of this, it is back to that idea of efficiency. But the, the, the accelerator there, almost like the, uh, the thing that is changing, is, is, is very much the technology that allows us to do things differently. So, I mean, Magnus, I mean, Veracity as a project is, is very interesting. It's perhaps not unique in the sense that there's a lot of uh, similar operations being uh, carried out by other class societies as well. But this idea of collaboration, uh, this idea of uh, taking data from multiple sources uh, and producing a better way of working, more efficiency, that really is the heart of what you're trying to do, right? as far as I understand. Is that, is that correct? 
<clears throat> yeah, it is, uh, Richard. Uh, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Um, if you think about what Martin talks about, about uh, reaching all these goals, of uh, which is high on the agenda in terms of emissions, costs are increasing, rates are not necessarily following, uh, new technology is, is, is coming in to solve many of the problems. But at the end of the day, uh, the ship owners are interested in either cutting costs or earning more money or earning new money uh, with the same amount of people, so increased capacity. And that is what this technology that you mentioned uh, needs to do to create more data-driven solutions, mm -hmm. enabling remote operations, uh, not necessarily autonomous at first, mm. but you need to start to increase efficiency step by step. And this is where this uh, technology comes in, for example, veracity. Mm. enabling uh, the industry to connect the vessels, to connect the fleets and, and, and think more like you do in the, the factory industry, in the textile industry, where you think of every asset as a, one control system which you operate remotely. Mm. I mean, that's, that's an interesting point. We're looking uh, beyond shipping now. And I think uh, we're, we're perhaps a little late in that. You know, I think shipping has been very insular. Um, it, as I said at the outset, you know, it is a fragmented industry where people operate in silos and you know, what we're talking about here is this uh, collaborative effort, but I think collaboration outside of the industry is also massively important. Interesting to note that the, you know, the thematic topics being brought up in North Shipping this year are very much looking to the wider ocean economy, um, not just in terms of the uh, sustainability aspects, but in terms of how different sectors are going to be able to uh, operate more efficiently and more effectively with each other. because. Really, this is part of uh, the solution to many problems, business, environmental, uh, and otherwise. Um, Silly, so it gives an idea of, of, of how you see these things uh, sort of coming together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, first of all, it's an acknowledgement of, um, of how um, these industries are all changing. In North Shipping, uh, which uh, resides in Norway, uh, which is a nation of, of great maritime heritage, uh, we acknowledge that shipping is still at the heart and at the core of what we do. But at the same time, we do also acknowledge that um, at the same time as these industries are changing, we need to broaden our scope. And that's why we're saying that we are going to be the arena for ocean solutions. Um, and in terms of uh, digital technologies and, and the things that, for example, Magnus and Veracity are working with at, um, at DNV, these are um, arenas that we need to match up with the physical arenas. I mean, people still need to meet up people need to d discuss and people need to have uh, meaningful ways of developing thought leadership in order to meet these new challenges. Um, what I also believe is that whereas technology earlier has been quite domain specific, just look at you know, the development of the Norwegian economy um, all the way from when we struck oil until today, uh, technology has now developed onto being more um, cross silo and um, that means that the demands of leadership and management, of understanding the implications of new te technology and understanding what that means for talent management and recruitment has, um, has changed and will be changing even more in the future. Mm. And um, as an arena where we want to gather different industries and gather different branches of the ocean economy, um, I, f I really feel that we have a strong role to play and a responsibility um, in, in making meaningful conversations and and pushing the agenda on how we develop new competencies here. Mm. I mean, the, the, it goes back, I think, to where we started this conversation with, with the people, and that to me is the most interesting part of this. The technology is 
fascinating in terms of uh, what it allows us to do, but realistically what we're talking about in terms of this epoch shift is taking a very traditional industry, a very analog, archaic, paper-led industry and, and, and applying digital uh, efficiencies to it. But the people involved are fundamentally changing in terms of what they do, not just in terms of this question of autonomy and whether they're at shore or sea or, or how they use predictive technology to improve the sort of fleet maintenance or um, whether they are being drawn from traditional maritime nations or indeed coming now uh, increasingly as, as maths grads or, or, or algorithm experts as, as, as much as they are coming from uh, maritime colleges. That is changing because the demand of the industry is changing. And I, I, I'm not sure yet that the industry is speaking as one. I mean, we're still a fragmented traditional industry. And I, I'll ask all of you, what, what do you think needs to change to be able to allow that collaboration to happen? Well, we're certainly looking, uh, and I can only really speak within the UK at the moment, about, about the need to, to look at careers in, in the whole uh, maritime sector on a much more collaborative basis. You know, the, the whole career structure, uh, as you start to introduce particularly the digital skills, is forcing that change. But I think there's also a point about, um, Martin mentioned economics of shipping um, and the, the cost of crew. There is a tendency to drive, try and drive that crew cost down. Um, and so the crew become a cost rather than a resource. We're not using the talent they have, I think, effectively. And I think we can do a lot more to, to look at the crew as a source of talent or capability that can support the industry rather than just a cost of shipping, a cost of that. But I think as well we have to recognise that all of these skills that we need in the future are required by every other sector. In whatever industry you're in, be it automotive, aerospace, uh, media, for example, these digital skills are in great demand by them. So if the maritime sector is going to succeed or going to continue to meet the growth uh, predictions that the OECD report covers, we have to become far more attractive to the talent that's out there mm. to get them into our industry rather mm. than losing them to the space, aerospace type sectors. Mm. Yeah, and, and just one comment on that, because um, uh, one thing that we see, and this is a trend, is that the established companies um, needs to realize that uh, competition is coming from angles that many of them are not prepared for at all. In Norway especially, we see how uh, young companies, startups and growth companies and small and medium-sized businesses account for much of the value creation. And we're expecting that value creation to come from these small companies as well in the future. Mm. And what does that mean? Well, that has some implications of how you, as uh, an established actor, an established player, in a certain line of business, how you invest in the future and how you think about uh, acquiring new technologies as well as new talents. Mm. I mean, Martin, this is something you've written about quite a lot over the years in terms of um, looking at other sectors. You've looked at sort of efficiency of manufacturing sort of historically and then sort of thought about what that might mean for shipping. It's become something of a, a cliche to talk about digital disruption from uh, you know other sources, but that is a reality, realistically, isn't it? That we will take these people and skills from other industries and, and in China and import them effectively. Yeah, well, you've, you've used the, we've all used the word silos, and I would say the greatest silo of all, which goes back 5,000 years and plus in shipping, is the uh, different compartments between the people in the ship at sea and the people in the office. And I think one of, the, for me, during the last 10 years when I've been looking at this, the biggest 
uh, change in technology, the one that seemed to me had the greatest potential was when Inmarsat started to put up the geostationary satellites, mm. where you're moving towards a position of actually having really very good real-time yeah. relationships between the sea and the shore. This is this is mm. probably the biggest revolution since the cable came in in 1865, mm. which, believe me, was equally big in its day. But this opens the way to sharing work, to allowing people to work horizontally. I mean, to take the, the you know, the Scandinavians are famous for being for good being good at horizontal organisation structures. At the moment, we have at sea a highly vertical structure reporting to the master, and the the structure that structure does not interface traditionally very well with the people on the shore. Mm. I think it's fair to say that. Yeah. And, I, and so I think there is a job to be done, which will happen as you can, as the CEO can ring up and call up the rating who just did something really good, you know, and say, hi, really well done, and call him up real time on his phone on the ship. Hmm. That's where you start to sort of move hmm. organisation structures. Yeah. We've identified a number of the problems here. We've identified that there are silos. We've identified that change is coming. So... I want to focus on, on what needs to be done. The, give me the optimistic view here. I give you a billion dollars each. What is it that you are going to change? What are you going to focus on as an issue and how are you going to change it with that money? Richard? I think, I think for me it's getting the balance between people and technology right. Uh, at the moment uh, we're asking our people to race with the technology. But I think it's time we put a stop to that and actually let people lead the technology and investing in the people to make uh, and giving them the right technology to help them do their jobs. Brilliant. Celia? Um, I think I've answered a, a question like this uh, before, and I think my reply then was then uh, that I put as much of it as possible into um, renewable energy um, as being one of the ways of answering to the huge uh, problems that we have with emissions, which ultimately leads us to where we are today while we're discussing this, because Without a significant reduction in, in emissions, it's really no use having this conversation. So, mm. yeah. Magnus, billion uh, dollars could uh, make Brassi look like a very different platform, presumably. <laughs> Indeed, uh, we do have secure funding though, but uh, <laughs> I tend to agree a lot with, with Richard here because uh, it all comes down to people, technology and, and processes. And I see that sort of the industry 4.0 that everyone is talking about that will lead us to solve many of these problems. We're in the very cradle and beginning of it. And I mm. see the silos that we're talking about, the, the bridges, the gaps and everything, is due to immaturity and lack of aligned uh, education on, on what is this, what can it do, what is inside this toolbox. So I think if the industry as a whole could sort of agree on a direction and agree on what the toolbox should look like and what it can do and how we pin it all together. Mm -hmm. Working with 60, 70 ship owners the last two years, I see that the differences are huge, but the gaps are typically the same. And I think that over the course of the next few years, it will be uh, narrowed. But with that type of money, we could speed it up and actually reach those goals that help uh, save our oceans. Brilliant. Martin, final thought is with you. We've, well, we've talked a lot about technology and we've talked a lot about ship owners. I think, well, for me, what I would like to see most is us bringing cargo back into the picture. I'm not sure it's in the, in the hands of ship owners, but when I started work, the tanker industry was run by the oil companies and the business was twice as efficient in those days, basically. And I think that to make any of these great changes work, 
um, I won't repeat them, um, we need to do that with the cargo owners because they set the lead ultimately. They are the people whose business we are providing for, you know. Brilliant. Well, if any of our listeners do have a spare billion, um, give me a call. Um, I can make some suggestions, um, uh, starting with a subscription to Lloyd's List and Lloyd's Intelligence, obviously. Um, but uh, for now, um, uh, to our esteemed panel for this week's podcast, thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you.